Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game! The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the program. Budweiser's weekday sports speed live on 960 AM WSBT. We always have live streams available at WSBTradio.com. On our free WSBT Radio app, you can get the app by going to the iTunes or Google Play stores and searching Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Also, a video stream of the program can be grabbed on the Twitch app. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Another snowy day here in downtown South Bend, northern Indiana, and southwest Michigan. Well, the Irish basketball team's got a few days to relax, a few days to enjoy their win on Saturday over Louisville. They do not play again until Saturday, so that means we have two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat, Monday through Thursday, and then Friday will be a little shorter due to my Notre Dame hockey duties as the Fighting Irish will visit the Michigan State Spartans Friday and Saturday. Coming up on tonight's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, our hat trick of opening topics is just a couple of moments away. Also, we've got the Twitter question of the day at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about some Notre Dame football players getting invites to the NFL Combine. Our My 5 question of the day the top five plays from the NFL Championship Sunday. We'll play back the highlights of those plays coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. Also in the 6 o'clock hour, we're going to take a look at the Purdue Boilermaker basketball team's road to a Big Ten regular season championship. They are in full control of this conference right now as they have a hefty lead over the second-place team who had Northwestern being second in the Big Ten. But the Wildcats are 6-3 and three right now and at this moment would be an NCAA tournament team. So what lies in front of the Boilermakers? We will get to that coming up in just a few moments. The Boilermakers, unanimous number one team in the AP poll this week. The Boilermakers, Boilermakers had a terrific home win 
over Michigan State yesterday, blowing out the Spartans 77-61 after the Spartans and the Boilermakers played a tight game in East Lansing a couple of weeks ago. Not close this time. Michigan State threw everything but the kitchen sink at Purdue big man Zach Eady, but he still put up 37 points and 13 rebounds in the 16-point Boilermaker victory. Also, in the 6 o'clock hour, we will recap our Sizzler picks from Friday. Happy to report after that just brutally rough 0-3-1 on Thursday where we lost by a half a point twice and a push. Could have been 3-1, but reality was 0-3-1. Pretty nice bounce back on Friday's show as we went 4-0. We've got some picks tonight, but there is not a lot to choose from tonight. There's really not anything I'm truly in love with, but by the rules, I'll pick four games, and we'll pass along those picks at the end of the 6 o'clock hour here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. But right now, let's get to our hat trick of opening topics, three topics to get tonight's program started on Budweiser's weekday sports beep from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We begin with the National Football League Championship Sunday yesterday. Both games were heard on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And the first quarter of the 49er Eagle game was truly bizarre. It has to be in the running for one of the more bizarre quarters in the NFL this year. You start with the Eagles and their opening drive of the ball game against that terrific 49er defense. The Eagles in 49er territory had fourth down and three. The 49ers have a terrific pass rush. They provided some pressure up the middle on quarterback Jalen Hurts who flushed out of the pocket and rolled to his left and then threw against his body and fired the ball down the field where former Alabama wide receiver and Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith appeared to make a fantastic one-handed catch inside the 49er 10-yard line. Now as the play happened, we're like, wow, what an amazing catch by Smith. Leaping in the air, one-handed grab, He immediately pops up and he puts his fists together, which obviously means for the Eagle players, get to the line of scrimmage in a hurry, snap the ball, because if this goes to replay, it probably is not going to count. As you watch the play happen, you're thinking, well, what did Devontae think that led him to believe it's not a catch because he got the one foot down, And then I think the next body part that might have touched would have been a knee, which counts as two feet. So it looked great. Well, the Eagles ran a play really quick. And then on the next play, would score a touchdown on a Miles Sanders run. Then we got the chance to see the video and why Devontae Smith was saying, snap the ball, let's go. The ball hit the ground as he landed on his right hip. Clearly the ball hit the ground. Now the NFL has a system that can correct a call immediately as there is communication between, I would assume, New York, where those officials are, and the referee on the field. 
they did not stop the action nor buzz that referee. Apparently, they did not see the replay in time. Eagles got the playoff and scored a touchdown two plays later. Well, it was fourth and three. And if the NFL would have buzzed the referee or the 49ers thrown a challenge flag, that play's not going to count, and the 49ers get the football for the first time in the NFC Championship game scoreless rather than down 7-0. So the 49ers get the football. Brock Purdy, one of the best stories in the NFL this year. Last player taken in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, number 262 by the 49ers in the seventh round. He is the third quarterback to start for San Francisco this year. He was 7-0 as a starter for the 49ers, but never truly got a chance in this game to impact it. As on their first series, Purdy was pressured. His right elbow was hit. He had an open hand. The ball came out. His arm was not going forward, so it was ruled a fumble. It took replay to overturn call on the field of incomplete pass, but the Eagles got the football on the open hand of Brock Purdy on top of everything else. That wasn't even the worst part of the play as Purdy injured what appeared to be his elbow. Kind of sounds like there was some nerve issues causing him the inability to squeeze the football, and Purdy would have to leave the game for the four-string quarterback, Josh Johnson, who earlier this year was the emergency quarterback for the Denver Broncos. But when the 49ers needed depth at quarterback, they got Johnson off Denver's practice squad because he had run head coach Kyle Shanahan's offense in the past. So Johnson was brought in, and what do you know? He is taking crucial snaps in the NFC Championship game. He would later get knocked out. Purdy came back in, but it was obvious he was not going to be able to throw the ball down the field past, what, six or seven yards? That was about his limit. And that play where Purdy got injured ultimately ended the 49ers' chances to go to the Super Bowl. And then also in the first quarter, you had the Philadelphia Eagle punt that went very short and to the left out of bounds. Now a wide shot of the field on the punt with the ball in the air, you see a couple of members of the Eagle sideline pointing to the sky. They believe the ball hit the wire that holds the camera up that is directly over the field. Even the punter, you could see him pointing up, the ball hit the wire. So the officials went to replay and there was no conclusive evidence that the ball hit the wire. So the 49ers got excellent field position, but ultimately could not do anything with that good field position as they did not score and had to punt the football back to Philadelphia. So that was a very unique first quarter of the 49ers-Eagles NFC Championship game, a game won by Philadelphia easily over the San Francisco 49ers, 31-7. Pretty impressive when you think about the Eagles who won the Super Bowl back in the 2017 season. Their head coach was Doug Peterson, and they had Nick Foles at quarterback. 
They've overturned this team with a new head coach and a new starting quarterback. And the Sirianni-Hertz combination has gotten Philadelphia back to the Super Bowl where they are a slight favorite over the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe it's only the fourth time in 57 Super Bowls that two team, or I'm sorry, a team has gone to the Super Bowl with a different head coach and quarterback six years apart. Now, obviously, the first six Super Bowls don't count. They don't fit into that stat, so not many teams have been able to make that transition. The Eagles have done it very, very smoothly, and now they have a chance to win their second Super Bowl title in four tries in the NFL's biggest game. Another hat trick topic for tonight's program, the highly ranked Notre Dame women's basketball team suffered another loss on the road in the state of North Carolina, this time to North Carolina State. The Irish fall to the Wolfpack 69-65. That halted Neil Ivey's team's five-game winning streak. Now, the Irish were down double digits in the second half. They made a surge. It was a 13-2 run that got the Irish to within 65-63, but they could not come all the way back, losing by four. Now, there's a major positive coming out of this game, and really this is something that would be very helpful to the team if this became more of a trend than a one-time deal, and it centers around Cassandra Prosper. Now, Prosper is the five-star player out of Canada that signed with the Irish in July and entered school early. Now, she's been getting some playing time, but was really counted on yesterday. Prosper played 26 minutes in that game on the road against a nationally ranked North Carolina State team. And during Notre Dame's 13-2 run that got them to within 65-63, Prosper hit back-to-back three-point shots. That's very important because we're already seeing what I mentioned to Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated on Wednesday's program with Dara Mabry going down for the season with a knee injury. The Irish are going to see a lot of zone defenses because – Mabry hit 33 threes on the season, which isn't like that's a huge amount. That was the top three-point shooter. There's a major drop-off. This is not a great three-point shooting team. Can you win a national championship without major threats from the three-point line? Are defenses going to be able to pack it in on the Irish? Maybe keeping Olivia Miles out of the lane? It's a really interesting situation developing, but if the freshman Prosper can help you out in that area, she's going to be vitally important come March Madness because I just have a hard time believing a team's going to make a major, major run toward a title without any sort of three-point shooting. Major question mark for this team with Dara Mabry down with the D injury. Now, Prosper ended up with 11 points, And four rebounds in 26 minutes. Just as impressive, only one turnover committed by the freshman on the road against a nationally ranked team. So let's see if Prosper continues to get more opportunities and becomes a vital part of this team. Matty Westbell really picked up the slack for the Irish. 19 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. That was important because Lauren Ebo 
unavailable for yesterday's game with a back injury. Now, Olivia Miles and Sonia Citron, this number can't be like this come March. Both of those players committed five turnovers in the ballgame. They committed 10 of the 14 Irish turnovers. Now, Miles finished with 13 points, six rebounds, five assists, three steals. She always fills up the stat sheet. Citron with 11 points. So Notre Dame has a few days to rest, then right back on the charter. They'll be off to Chestnut Hill to take on Boston College, a Thursday 7 o'clock tip. You can hear that game on our sister station, Live 99.9. These two teams met back on New Year's Day at Purcell Pavilion, and it was a yawner as the Irish blew out Boston College 85-48. And our third and final hat trick opening topic for this Monday evening on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I know not a lot of people are talking about the Irish basketball team right now. It's been a rough season, but credit to the team. They picked up a victory over Louisville at Purcell Pavilion Saturday afternoon. A nice victory for the Irish, 75-62. Notre Dame built a 22-point lead at halftime. Their biggest lead of the ball game was 30 early on in the second half. Now, Louisville made a semi-run and ended up losing the game 76-62 as they outscored the Irish 38-30 in the second half. But Notre Dame ends their losing streak. They're now 10-12 overall. They are 2-9 in the ACC. In that ball game, J.J. Starling, his star continues to shine brighter and brighter. The five-star guard is really settling in. 9 of 16 from the field, 2 of 4 from the three-point line, 22 points to lead the Irish, 6 rebounds, and only one turnover in almost 36 minutes of action. We had this conversation last week, but with Mike Bray leaving the program at the end of the year, and you've got Leshevsky, Ryan, Hammond, Goodwin, Wirtz, all heading off to whatever they're doing next after basketball or maybe some professional basketball for a couple of the guys. J.J.'s the only one back, and is he going to want to stick around this Irish basketball program? see who the new head coach is, see what the roster looks like. It's going to look a whole lot different last year or next year compared to this year. I mean, the names of Leshevsky, Ryan, Goodwin, Wirtz, we've been saying those names for a good amount of time. It's going to be a different roster. And you know there's going to be a lot of teams across the country interested in J.J. Starling if he is interested in playing somewhere else. Next year, We don't know what his decision will be, but it's obviously something to monitor. And with the way he is playing right now, he is really starting to come into his own. This is a guy that you build your program around, and hopefully that's the way J.J. sees it. He'll want to stay as a member of this Fighting Irish basketball team. He's not going to be a one-and-done player, but hopefully he'll decide to stay in South Bend and be a part of a new look fighting Irish basketball team next year. 
So beyond the 22 from Sterling, Nate Lashevsky, 17 points, five rebounds, three assists, hit three of four three-point shots. Good performance by Nate. Two other players in double figures, Cormac Ryan with 11, Dane Goodwin with 10 points. The Irish used seven players as Dom Campbell got in for four minutes and 25 seconds. Trey Wirtz played 19 minutes. Otherwise, the starters, Goodwin, Hammond, Ryan, Starling, Lashevsky played most of the minutes for Mike Bray as the Irish picked up the win 76-62 over Boy. A rough-looking Louisville team that is now 2-19. They are 0-10 in the ACC. That's just crazy. After the game on the Notre Dame Radio Network, heard right here on WSBT Radio, the voice of the Irish, Tony Simeone, caught up with a smiling head coach of the fight. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Well, we started the program with our hat trick of opening topics, which included that weird first quarter of the Niners-Eagles NFC Championship game in Philadelphia yesterday. And I referenced 49ers starting quarterback Brock Purdy getting his elbow hit, resulting in a fumble after the video was reviewed. Plus, Purdy at that point was knocked out of the ball game with an injury. Josh Johnson, the four-string quarterback for the 49ers, came into the ballgame. He would get knocked out. Purdy came back in, could hardly throw the football, and now we understand why. According to ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, Brock Purdy in yesterday's game tore the UCL in his right throwing arm, and that will obviously require surgery, and he'll be out six months. So you're talking about his offseason is going to be full of rehabbing, and we'll see the direction the 49ers go. They have a very interesting dilemma on their hands. Who is their starting quarterback next year? Trey Lance was their starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, got injured in week two, has not played since. Jimmy Garoppolo then came back into the fold for the 49ers after during fall camp, he was off on another field practicing. He wasn't even supposed to be on the team. They ended up signing him to a deal and brought him in to be the backup for Lance. And when Trey went down, Garoppolo came in until he got injured and then Brock Purdy took over. They invested a lot of draft capital to move up to take Trey Lance. And, They're in a situation right now where Lance hasn't proven he can be a top-of-the-line starting quarterback. Now, he has not had a fair amount of time to achieve that status, but I think his throwing ability and his consistency throwing the football is a major question. You know who Garoppolo is? The 49ers have gotten to a Super Bowl with Garoppolo. Granted, a really good defense was a big part of that. And now you've got Purdy, who is 7-1 as a starter, 7-0 in games that he played from start to finish. Not a fair shot yesterday, of course. So 
it'll be a really interesting offseason with quarterbacks being in demand in the National Football League. You would have to imagine teams will be phoning up John Lynch, the guy in charge of the 49ers, to see what quarterbacks might be available. Lance has the higher ceiling of the three. I think we know who Garoppolo is. Purdy is steady. Is he going to be a guy that's going to get incredibly better and become an all-pro type player? Probably too early to be able to know that. He's got a good supporting cast around him, but what will the 49ers do? But we do know that Brock Purdy suffered a torn UCL UCL yesterday. He is out six months, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, our Twitter questions of the day are found on my Twitter account, 960SportsBeat. Now, on Friday's program, we wanted you to help us knock out all the folks in the casinos in Las Vegas by picking the appropriate parlay for the NFL championship games. So I gave you four choices using the odds that were available at the time of the show on Friday. So which of these NFL championship Sunday parlay is going to hit? Coming in fourth place in the voting was San Francisco plus Kansas City minus one. That got 15.6% of the vote. Did that parlay hit? It did not. We go to third place in the voting. Philadelphia minus two and a half. And Kansas City minus one. In that parlay, you're taking both favorites in the championship game. 18.8% said, I'm going with Philadelphia minus two and a half and Kansas City minus one. Were they right? Oh, you better believe they were right. Nice work. 18.8% have extra money in their wallet today by making the correct choice. Second place in the voting was the two underdogs plus two and a half and Cincinnati plus one 28.1% went with the dogs and neither one of those hit and finally winning the vote from Friday 37.5% of the vote went with the Eagles minus two and a half that was okay but the problem was the second part of the parlay Cincinnati plus one So the parlay that got third place in our voting was the correct parlay, Philadelphia minus two and a half, Kansas City minus one. Thank you very much for voting on Friday's Twitter question of the day. Now we move along to today's question of the day that was just posted a little bit ago on my Twitter account at 960 Sportspeed. What type of... A basketball coach do you think Notre Dame will hire? As you probably know, Mike Bray is leaving the program after 23 years on the job. So what direction do you think Jack Swarbrick goes to fill that position? I'm going to give you four choices today. 
We're talking about generalities here. So what type of basketball coach do you think Notre Dame will hire? Choice number one, a retired coach. Now, I went with that because there's a lot of people that are crossing their fingers that a guy like Jay Wright, the former Villanova head coach, might want to come here and build up this program once again. I don't know if he's interested in getting back into coaching. I like him on TV. He's been working with Bill Raftery on some of the college basketball action on CBS. So I've enjoyed that. So that's why I threw a retired coach in there. Also, another choice. What type of basketball coach do you think Notre Dame will hire? An NBA coach. Indiana. Excuse me. Indiana went with Mike Woodson. Longtime NBA coach brought back Woodson to his alma mater, and he's finally got the Hoosiers playing good basketball this year. So is there an NBA coach like Monty Williams, former Notre Dame player, now with the Phoenix Suns? Is there someone like that or an assistant coach in the NBA that might be brought in? So your second choice is an NBA coach. The third choice would be a coach leaving a Power 5 program to come to Notre Dame. So we are talking a head coach or an assistant coach, probably a head coach, from the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, the Pac-12. I know a lot of people have been kicking around Porter Mosier, the head coach at Oklahoma, formerly of Loyola, leading them to the Final Four a few years ago. Would that be someone that Mr. Swarbrick would be interested in? What would be more interesting than anything else about Moser being a candidate? Would he bring one of his assistant coaches with him? That assistant coach I'm thinking of is Ryan Humphrey, who left the Irish basketball program a year ago to go back home to Oklahoma. But if Moser just by chance would get the job here, Would Ryan come back? Not sure. So current Power 5 coach is your third choice. And the fourth and final choice, I went with an up-and-coming coach. That could be a Power 5 assistant. That could be a non-Power 5 head coach. An example I can give you, I'm thinking Martin Inglesby, the former Notre Dame basketball player. The head coach at Delaware the last few years got Delaware to the NCAA tournament last season. So that's the type of person I'm kind of throwing out there. I know there's been some buzz about the College of Charleston head coach as a possibility. He would fall into the category of an up-and-coming coach. So let's just recap. This particular question available right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. What type of basketball coach... Do you think Notre Dame will hire a retired coach, an NBA coach, a current Power 5 coach, or an up-and-coming coach? Love to get your input. Again, go to my Twitter account at 960Sportspeed and let me know what you think about Notre Dame and what type of coach they may hire to replace Mike Bray after 23 years and 482 victories and hopefully still counting. 
547 at WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is being brought to you by Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Hey, sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the Family Inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. And our sports updates are being brought to you by Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Pablo Rodriguez in Granger. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you'll stick around. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming up, including a look at the players from Notre Dame who have been invited to the NFL Combine. 548 on your home of the Fighting Irish and Super Bowl 57 in 13 days as the Eagles take on the Chiefs. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Five fifty-three at Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT streaming live at WSBTRadio.com and the WSBT Radio app. We wrap up the five o'clock hour with a little Notre Dame football conversation. Four Notre Dame players have been invited to the premier NFL draft event, the NFL Combine. Now the four players who have picked up invitations. No surprise, tight end Michael Mayer, edge rusher Isaiah Foskey, offensive lineman Jared Patterson, and I was curious if this player would get an invite or not. He did. Safety, Brandon Joseph. It all starts with Michael Mayer. Mel Kuyper, the draft analyst for so many years on ESPN, his big board which does not take into account needs of the teams or positions. It is just who are the best players in the draft. Kuyper's latest big board has Michael Mayer, number 20. The Irish tight end, 6'4", 251 in the previous Kuyper big board. He had Mayer 13th, so Michael dropped back seven spots. And Kuyper recently wrote this about the Notre Dame tight end. Mayer had 67 catches for 809 yards and nine touchdowns in 2022, the latter of which led the country among tight ends. In three seasons at Notre Dame, he had 180 catches for 2,099 yards and 18 scores. NFL teams want tight ends who can stretch the deep middle of the field and block well enough to line up next to the offensive tackles. That's Mayer. He can be a force in the red zone, Linebackers simply can't cover him, and safeties struggle with his size. He has a wide catch radius and could produce as a pass catcher in the NFL 
He is a complete player. Well, absolutely agree about what Mayer can do to opposing defenses in the NFL. He's exactly right about linebackers having trouble staying with Mayer and Michael being too physical for safeties at times. He can be a major weapon down the field, but also a very important target for quarterbacks in the red zone, and he is a good enough blocking tight end to help you in that area. Because he's a tight end, chances are he may not go as quickly as you would think. It just depends on the needs of the football team. Early in the draft, what do you see a lot of? You see a lot of quarterbacks taken, pass rushers because it's a passing league and you have to slow down the quarterbacks. And also, you will see some wide receivers taken, but offensive tackles also vitally important at the top of the NFL draft. So Michael might slip a tad bit. We'll have to see how the first round plays out, the needs of the tight ends. We're going to go through that list of teams coming up here in a couple of days. But Mayer has put himself in position with his productivity at Notre Dame, his skill set to definitely be a first-round pick in this year's National Football League draft. The draft this year is in late April. Then you've got edge rusher Isaiah Foskey getting the invite to the NFL Combine. Foskey could have been going through this process a year ago at this time, but decided to come back to Notre Dame. He wanted to take his pass rushing skills to another level, become become a better all-around defensive end by playing the run better. And he had a good year for the Fighting Irish. There's no doubt about that. I wouldn't say he had an explosive year like a Will Anderson from Alabama, but it was a good, solid season for Foskey. And he left Notre Dame as the all-time sack leader in program history. Kuyper, in terms of edge rushers only, Foskey is ranked number five. So that's pretty high praise for Notre Dame's Isaiah Foskey. You've got offensive lineman Jared Patterson going to the NFL Combine. Again, Kuyper from ESPN does not have Patterson ranked in the guard category. It goes back to how Patterson became more well-known at Notre Dame as a center. Moved to guard last year, but Patterson is ranked number four at center by Mel Kuyper Jr., and finally, again, wasn't sure Brandon Joseph would get an invite. He had, a, I would say, a, a quiet year at Notre Dame. That's not a negative. I don't think we saw a lot of the splash plays that I was expecting. We saw one against Syracuse as he had the pick six early on in that ball game for the Fighting Irish and, of course, ended the year banged up, which obviously did not help his cause. Joseph, right now, I think there's a bit of a question about him. Had a great start to his career at Northwestern, an All-American. And again, here in South Bend was was solid, but I would say not spectacular. Joseph is not ranked in the top 10 among safeties that Kuyper has ranked so far in the process. He's kind of the wild card. I'm curious to see what he does at the Combine, how he matches up against other safeties, and how NFL teams evaluate Brandon Joseph. So the NFL Combine in a few weeks, Notre Dame will be represented by Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, Brandon Joseph, and Jarrett Patterson. 
5.59 is our time. We'll head to the 6 o'clock hour with a sports update. We've got our My 5 question of the day. Five of the biggest moments from NFL Championship Sunday. We'll take a look at Purdue's road to a Big Ten regular season championship. They're in the driver's seat right now for sure. And we have some sports wagering picks to get to, and we'll recap the 4-0 Friday all next hour on Budweiser's weekday sports feed on your home of the Fighting Irish and Super Bowl 57, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chase by Gamble. 20, 10, what a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. 5-5 rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. It is 12 minutes after 6 o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We are currently streaming live at WSBTradio.com and our free WSBT radio app. If you are a gamer and you like MLB The Show, MLB The Show 23, they announced their, well, the person who will grace the cover of their sports video game in 2023, and they elected to go with a Miami Marlin player. Caught me off guard, too. You're probably thinking the same thing. And the choice this year is Jazz Chisholm, who used to be a Diamondback prospect, was traded to the Miami Marlins a couple of years ago, hit 254 last year with a 325 on base, a 535 slugging, 14 homers, 12 stolen bases in 60 games. So, bit of a surprise. Jazz Chisholm of the Miami Marlins is the, I guess, cover boy for MLB The Show. 23 when it is released later on this year and on MLB the show 23 we will see former Notre Dame star Trey Mancini in a Chicago Cubs uniform for the first time after signing a free agent deal with the North Siders about a week ago Mancini getting ready to spend a little time in the National League after starting his career with the Baltimore Orioles, getting traded to the Astros last year for their pennant drive, resulting in a World Series championship. Now it's going to be Trey spending some time going around the senior circuit playing for the Chicago Cubs. 613 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My 5 Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Today's question, the top five plays from NFL Championship Sunday. Yesterday, had some good action in the NFL, in particular the second game. That was a barn burner between Kansas City and Cincinnati. Chiefs won it on that last-second field goal, 23-20. The early game wasn't as much fun 
The quarterback injuries with San Francisco really hurt them. But credit to the Eagles doing a lot of damage against that top 49er defense. Philadelphia won 31-7. So with the help of audio courtesy of Westwood One, heard here on WSBT Radio, Fox Sports, and CBS Sports, let's go through five of the top plays from NFL Championship Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. And away we go with number five. Second down and five, shotgun snap, handoff goes to the running back, Sanders over the tackle, the 10, the five, and he's in for the 13-yard touchdown run on the 14th play of the drive. That was Kevin Harlan on the call on Westwood One. Yeah, kind of a simple play. It was just a touchdown by Miles Sanders, his second touchdown of the game. Not many teams have been able to run the football successfully against that 49er defense. The Eagles did a very nice job yesterday, and that touchdown we just played turned out to be the game-winning score in the NFC Championship game. Sanders' second touchdown run of the contest put the Eagles up 14-7 in route to a 31-7 victory. So it's third down and three with 7.02 to go. From the 36-yard line of Cincinnati, from the gun, Burrow, step, throw, deep shot on the way. It's knocked up and picked off. Off the bounce, Williams steps in. Brian Cook got a piece. Kansas City takes over. Now, big play in a tie game in the fourth quarter. Burrow so good at throwing the deep ball. He and Lamar Chase connected on a massive deep ball in the fourth quarter to help the Bengals tie up the ball game. But that was Burrow's second interception of the AFC Championship game. It was off the deflection and brought a little momentum back on the side of Kansas City. I was thinking through the fourth quarter several times, oh, Chiefs are going to win. Then I was like, oh, well, maybe the Bengals. Back and forth, back and forth. Each team stole the momentum from the other and ultimately – A play coming up in a couple of moments set up that game-winning field goal for Kansas City. But Joe Burrow's fourth-quarter interception, our play number four. Okay, okay, Uh, number three. Out of fake pressure coming. Purdy, Jack, Flutie in the air. It is. Is it picked? No, hit the ground. Yeah, so take a look here. This ball is clearly hit. That is an open hand. That is a fumble, Kevin. After reviewing the play, the ball came out prior to the quarterback's hand going forward. As a result, it was a fumble with a clear recovery by number 72 of the defense. That was Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson on Fox with the call. And they'll be calling Super Bowl 57 in 13 days out in Arizona. It wasn't so much the turnover the reason why this was play number three, it was the injury to Brock Purdy, which all but ended the chances for San Francisco. Purdy had been so solid for San Francisco during his 7-0 record as a starter, but getting knocked out on the first series with what we now know, at least according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, Purdy suffered a torn UCL, and he will be sidelined for six months. So the turnover was important, but the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I didn't write this down wrong. I'm having second thoughts now, but I don't believe 
the Eagles scored off that particular fumble. Yeah, they were stuck on seven points for a little bit of time. So it's not so much the turnover, but the play that caused it to be number three was the injury to Brock Purdy. All right, we're going through the top five plays from NFL Championship Sunday. Number two. They need three. Hurts. Runs out of the pocket, looking for a deep Devontae Smith. One-hander is the end. He's got it. You see him across the board, man, and they're in great shape. Jimmy Ward's in good position. This is just scramble drill. They teach the receivers, if you're running horizontal, you're running to the sideline, when you see your quarterback scramble, you go deep. You go take the top off and run. What an unbelievable catch and adjustment in the air by Devontae Smith. Well, two things. First off, Greg Olson is really, really good as an NFL analyst. He has risen to near the top for me on the list of great NFL analysts. I think he's spectacular. We all know that Tom Brady has signed a deal with Fox to become an analyst whenever his NFL career ends. Who knows where that when that will occur, but Olsen probably gets bumped down to number two when Brady becomes a broadcaster, which would be a shame because you could argue Olsen is number one or number two right now in the way he describes things. I don't know if Irish fans remember this, but Greg Olsen was on this program a long, long time ago when he was a Notre Dame commit, ultimately finished his college career with the Miami Hurricanes, becoming one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the National Football League. So Greg Olson, fantastic job calling the games on Fox. And that plays number two because Devontae Smith actually did not catch the football. Devontae had a signal that everybody on the team knew about, get to the line of scrimmage, snap the ball, because we do not want this to go to video review. Now, if you're watching the game, we never saw a camera angle that showed the ball hit the ground which it actually did. But before the NFL could get involved or the 49ers could challenge, the Eagles snapped the football. The next play after that, Miles Sanders scored a touchdown to put the Eagles in front 7-0. Now, with the injuries to the 49er quarterbacks, this probably didn't matter in the scheme of things. But if the play is called properly on the field or if it gets reviewed we know it gets overturned the ball hit the ground that was a fourth down and three play so that's an incomplete pass the eagles have zero points and the 49ers get the football right around their own 40 yard line so at the very least for san francisco it's a scoreless game now does the injury to purdy still happen i mean we can go down that road all day but the fact is that was a big turning point in the ballgame rather than the score being nothing-nothing. If the play was called properly on the field, instead, Eagles got to the line, snapped the ball, no review. Two plays later, touchdown. They had the lead, and that was just the start of a big day in Philadelphia as the Eagles won by a final score of 31-7. to Number one. Here's Mahomes rolling out on third and four. He's going to go for the ash. He's got the marker. He's got the out of bounds to stop it. And Osai was hurt as he hit the bench. And a flag's coming in to put him 15 yards closer. Personal foul, unnecessary roughness. Defense number 58. And that 15 yards. 40-yard field goal attempt to go to the Super Bowl. 
that was really hard to watch. It is a rule in the National Football League. Everybody knows it. It's called in the preseason. It's called in the regular season. It's called in the playoffs, and it will be called in the Super Bowl. If you have a player that is obviously out of bounds, he cannot be touched. And Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes had stepped on the white boundary and was obviously out of bounds when the Bengals' Joseph Osai pushed him from behind. Mahomes went down. Osai, I thought he hyperextended his knee. It was kind of an ugly look, but he popped back up. But it was absolutely the right call. Now there are people breaking down the video of that play that claimed there was at least one holding call that should have been whistled against a Chiefs offensive lineman. I've heard a former NFL offensive lineman say by the NFL rulebook that was not a hold. Others say it was. I'll let you decide. The fact is, Osai, without a doubt, shoved Mahomes, who was out of bounds. It's a 15-yard penalty, so with seconds left rather than a 55-yard field goal for Kansas City or a Hail Mary, the 15-yard penalty for hitting Mahomes out of bounds set up Butker for that 40-yard field goal, which he converted, sending the Kansas City Chiefs back to the Super Bowl with a 23-20 victory. It was a hard watch as CBS, with the postgame celebration taking place on the field, they were showing different shots, and they would go back to Osai several times, very emotional, on the bench, knowing what he did was a major factor in the game. I'm not going to say that's the reason why they lost. You can point to a lot of things in the game that went wrong for Cincinnati or some questionable officiating that hurt Cincinnati. But that play is going to be remembered for a long time, and unfortunately that will kind of, I guess, live with Osai for a very, very long time. With everything on the line, he was playing hard and wanted to make sure Mahomes got out of bounds and just made a bad play. Simple as that. From people who broke down the game, he had a really good game for the Bengals' defense, but that play is the one he will be remembered by. And that is our number one play from the NFL Championship Sunday, Osai's penalty, hitting Patrick Mahomes out of bounds, pushing Kansas City 15 yards closer, setting up the 40-yard game-winning field goal. Chiefs win 23-20. The Bengals will be back. They might have gotten a little too comfortable in their own shoes. Hilton, the cornerback for Cincinnati, calling Arrowhead Burrowhead since Burrow and the Bengals were 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Cincinnati mayor had some things to say, which was pointed out by Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs in the postgame celebration. Cincinnati probably needed to be humbled a tad bit, and they were by Kansas City. And the city of Cincinnati will be humbled more when they see the starting lineup for the Cincinnati Reds in about a month and a half. Those are the top five plays from NFL Championship Sunday. Should be a good one. I think the spread right around two and a half. The Eagles the favorite over the Kansas City Chiefs. 626 Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm Darren Pritchett. The Purdue Boilermakers. They are in full control of the Big Ten. They've got a great opportunity to win another regular season championship. 
What does the road look like in the back half of their schedule? We'll go through it coming up in just a moment. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish and Super Bowl 57, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four, please. Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I hope you're having a terrific Monday. My name is Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues on your home of the Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Streaming live at WSBTradio.com. The WSBT Radio app. A video stream on the free Twitch app. Almost 26 minutes in front of 7 o'clock on this Monday evening. Coming up on tomorrow's program. We're going to talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider Mike Singer. More on Justin Scott. He is worth talking about. A five-star interior defensive lineman from the Chicagoland area. All the big schools across the country are very interested in Scott. If you watch his film, he's 300 pounds, but his quickness is like he's 245 explosive, physical. I mean, this is a guy that you build your defense around, and Notre Dame is trying to reel in Justin Scott. He originally said he was going to make his college choice on January 31st, which is tomorrow, and Notre Dame was considered the leader, but now he has decided to postpone that particular decision. It might be a couple of months now. He's got a lot of sort through because a lot of schools are offering him, including Georgia recently. Now, Notre Dame is still in the running, apparently, and he was supposed to visit Notre Dame yesterday. We'll talk to Mike Singer tomorrow if that visit took place. There were several players that were going to be here. So, Mike, will give you the latest on Justin Scott on tomorrow's program, we'll take a look at some 2024 wide receiver offers and the final on-three consensus team rankings for 2023, where the Fighting Irish finished in the top 10. That's all coming up tomorrow when we talk to Blue and Gold Illustrated's Mike Singer, kicking off the 6 o'clock hour tomorrow here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. But now... College basketball conversation here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beep. Selection Sunday is not too far away. We are closing in on arguably the most exciting three, four weeks of the sports season. You've got the NCAA tournament getting ready to get rolling. Selection Sunday is always a fun day. Once the tournament is over, the Masters... Gets underway at Augusta National. A lot of good things to look forward to in Major League Baseball opening day right around that same time. But right now, the Purdue Boilermakers have a terrific opportunity to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. They are in the driver's seat right now. They're also in the driver's seat for 
a short-term goal that's ahead of this team. A Big Ten regular season championship. It would be the Boilermakers' first Big Ten regular season championship since 2019, and they will try to win their first outright championship since 2017. And boy, Purdue has put themselves in a great spot. The Boilermakers are 10-1 and in Big Ten play. They posted a home win yesterday over Tom Izzo's Michigan State Spartans, 77-61. And the seven-footer, Zach Eady, well on his way to being named National Player of the Year. He's pretty much unstoppable at this point. Michigan State had some big bodies to throw at him. But if you let him set up shop within eight feet of the basket, you're doomed. You really are. If you double-team Edie, he can pass over the top of you. He's a really good distributor of the basketball. And Matt Painter has built this team with some really good outside shooters that can make the opposition pay when they bring multiple defenders to Zach Edie. It is a very difficult combination for opposing teams to deal with right now and throughout the rest of the season. So Edie's 37 points and 13 rebounds propelled the Boilermakers to a 16-point win over Sparty. Tom Izzo, after the game, had a thought. Okay, it's a complaint. It is a thought. That is a complaint. But his argument is Zach Edie is unstoppable. He's not going to deny that. But his argument was the officials are not calling Edie being in the lane for three seconds or more. You have three seconds to be in the paint. At that point, you have to leave the paint and reset your position in the lane. Okay, Zach does spend a little extra time in there, but I don't think that's something that's going to be called, and I don't know if that's going to make a major difference if that's called a couple of times during a game. I think Tom's frustrated. He threw Every defense at Edie and nothing worked. I think there's some frustration there by Izzo. And he might have been frustrated with the fact that Edie was still in the game with a minute 15 to go, up by 17, 18 points, which was brought up on the CBS broadcast. Whatever the case may be, Boilermakers won, and they are 10-1 and in the Big Ten, and they have opened up a healthy advantage over the pack. Everybody else is just kind of jammed together in the Big Ten standings. Did anyone have the Northwestern Wildcats second place in the Big Ten on January the 30th? If you're raising your hand, you're probably fibbing. Come on now. Northwestern? Really? Wildcats right now are 6-3 and three in the Big Ten, and they're an NCAA tournament team right now. Then you've got three teams currently tied for third place, Indiana, Illinois, and the only team that has beaten Purdue, Rutgers, who got thumped by the Iowa Hawkeyes in a very high-scoring game in Iowa City over the weekend. Rutgers normally keeps the pace low, the scoring down, really good defensive team. Hawkeyes said, you're not that good, and it was a game where over 170 points were scored in the contest. So Indiana, Illinois, Rutgers, in third at six and four, but they're three and a half games behind Purdue. Michigan State has lost twice to Purdue. The Spartans are now six and five, and the Spartans have lost to Illinois and Northwestern as well this year. 
Then at 5-5, five and five, you've got Penn State, Maryland, and Michigan. Wisconsin, who was a top 15 team a couple of weeks ago, they are on the skids. And the Badgers are now 4-6 and six in the Big Ten, and they are on the bubble now, according to ESPN's Joe Lenardi for the NCAA Tournament. And how about Ohio State? They are now just 3-7 and seven in Big Ten play. So, what's in front of Purdue? I mentioned they've got a nice lead in the Big Ten. Right now it's a three-game advantage over Northwestern. Up next for the Boilermakers, the Number one team in the country again this week. The Boilermakers will host Penn State Wednesday at 6.30. The Boilermakers have already beaten the Nittany Lions in University Park, Pennsylvania, 76-63. And then you've got the first two matchups against the rival, Indiana, Saturday at 4 o'clock at the Assembly Hall. Hopefully there'll be no debris falling from scoreboards or the roof in this game. Hopefully everybody will be... Ducking for cover, but it'll be Purdue and Indiana Saturday at 4 o'clock. That will be a ton of fun. The atmosphere down there in Bloomington will be off the chart, in particular with Purdue, number one in the country. Then the Boilermakers come home to take on the Iowa Hawkeyes, who are always a challenge because of the offense they throw at you. And then an interesting two-game stretch for Purdue, February 12th and February 16th, Purdue will go to Northwestern and then go to Maryland. Now, the Boilermakers had their hands full with the Terrapins in Mackey Arena earlier this year. Boilermakers won 58-55. College Park can be a tough place to play. We'll see how that game turns out. And then three of the last four games for Purdue is going to be at home. Hey, maybe the February 19th game against Ohio State, they might be in position to clinch the Big Ten. And the Boilermakers escape with a 71-69 victory in Columbus earlier this year. The Buckeyes at Purdue February 19th. And the rematch at Mackey, Indiana at Purdue February 25th. Now a much more winnable game at the Kohl Center March 2nd. If Wisconsin is playing like they are now, should be no problem for Purdue. Purdue at Wisconsin March 2nd. And then barring a collapse by Purdue, which... There doesn't seem to be a recipe that that's going to happen. But if the Boilermakers would stumble a few games and if Illinois continues to win, maybe this game means something. Probably not. I'd be stunned. But the only matchup between Illinois and Purdue this year will be at Mackey to wrap up the regular season on March the 5th. So you look at the schedule, home against Penn State, W, at Indiana. Okay, let's give the Hoosiers that victory. Home against Iowa, win. At Northwestern, I'll say Purdue wins. At Maryland, could be a stumbling block. Let's say a loss there. Then you've got Ohio State at home, win. Indiana at home, win. At Wisconsin, win. Home against Illinois, win. So that would put Purdue, if my guessing of victory or loss is correct, a 17-3 Big Ten season for Purdue. And if that is their record, Northwestern would have to run the table 11-0 the rest of the way just to create a tie atop the Big Ten standing. So as you can see, Purdue is in magnificent position. They can probably lose three games in the Big Ten and still win the outright Big Ten title. Last year, 
fifteen and five shared the Big Ten title. Wisconsin and Illinois. I think if Purdue went fifteen and five, they still win it outright this year because the middle of the pack, everybody is beating everybody. What do they say? They're cannibalizing each other right now. Everybody's beating everybody. Nobody outside of Purdue can get traction in the league. It is just a battle to stay in the top five in the Big Ten. If the Boilermakers can win this regular season championship, they would extend their advantage most Big Ten men's basketball regular season championships. They have 24 in their back pocket, their most recent, as I mentioned, a share in 2019, their last outright title was 2017. Before that, their last outright title was 94, 95, and 96. The Boilermakers have 24 regular season titles. Indiana is second with 22. Their last two titles were outright in 13 and 16. Ohio State and Wisconsin are tied for third with 20. The Buckeyes' last title, a share back in 2012. It's been a while. Wisconsin Shared the title in 20 and 22. And fifth on the list is Illinois with 18. Their last outright title was the year they lost just one game in the regular season in route to the national runner-up trophy, losing to Carolina. That was 2005. Surprisingly, Michigan State has 16 regular season titles and Michigan 15. There are only three schools who have never won a Big Ten basketball championship, and they are teams recently joining the league, Penn State, Nebraska, and Rutgers. Northwestern's won it twice in 91 and 93, and even Chicago has six Big Ten titles between 07 and 24. So as you can see, the Boilermakers, you don't want to take your foot off the gas, but they can kind of cruise to a Big Ten title 10-1 10-1 and one right now with nine games to go in the regular season. We'll have a little sizzler coming up next, 646. At your home of the Fighting Irish in Super Bowl 57, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. How's this sound? 